Welcome to Around the Carousel, circling our industry with the OABA, the official podcast of the Outdoor Amusement Business Association, with your host, OABA's President and CEO, Greg Chico. Today, our guest is Debbie Powers from Powers Great American Midways and the chair of the OABA. Now reach on up for that brass ring and join us for Around the Carousel. Well, hello, Debbie Powers. How are you today? I'm well. And yourself? It's doing doing great. So this is our initial podcast for the OABA, the Around the Carousel. Who better to start off our first call with but the chair of the OABA? So, Debbie, I think a lot of people know Corky and Debbie Powers, and they know Powers Great American Midway, and you and I talk all the time, so I know. But maybe you could just, for, for the folks listening, give, a, give us a little background on how you became involved in the carnival industry and kind of where you're involved to today. Okay, thank you. And thank you for inviting me to be number one. It's such an honor. So my husband and I both were out here with our grandparents. His set of grandparents did it, and so did mine. But I didn't really, I didn't have the exposure he did, but I still was out frequently, and and just it just captivated me, I think, even as a child. But then when I was about 12, my grandfather was um, working with my cousin, and so I went out and worked with both of them, and just for whatever reason, absolutely adored what this business has to offer. Um, I had been working on a farm previous to that, so you can only imagine that farming compared to the carnival, the carnival is so much easier. Now, as I'm an adult, I realize how hard the carnival is, but I guess I just never saw it then. But anyhow, um, so my husband was the same way. His, um, his grandparents, he went out all the time with them. So then he got into the um, game business in, I guess, late teens, early 20s with his brother, Dick Janis. And they had some games together for years. As a kid, though, he when he worked with his grandparents, they had freak shows and food. So he would bally the freak show even at the age of 10 and 12. I mean, he was he started out very young. Deb, all this was in upstate New York. Is that right? Yes, this was all upstate. Now, as far as me, I traveled kind of all over the state um, when I started at 12 and 13 with my cousin because she had a lot of fairs that my uncle, her father, had, had acquired over the many years. He started out in the 20s. And he did a lot of permanent parks at that time and then decided to become mobile. So um, he was one of the original, I think, one of the original food concessionaires. So um, anyways, he started out and I worked for my cousin for forever and ever, went through college, put myself through college between the scholarship and working, had, had enough money back in the day to do that. I graduated with a medical technology degree and was going to pursue pre-med, but before I did that, I got a job at a hospital, a big cancer hospital in Buffalo, New York, Roswell Park. And I decided that I absolutely hated that profession. And I was counting the hours. You should never have to count the hours left to work if you really love your job. And for whatever reason, I was still very captivated by the carnival. That's my story. I I worked there about a year and a half. And finally, even the doctor I worked for said, you don't like this. You should really pursue what you love. Because I would try to work four days, extra hours so that I could have Friday off to go work a carnival. So he knew my love. And he was very understanding. I left. And much to my father's kind of disgust, he just gave in to the fact that I wasn't going to pursue a medical career. And 
and he let me do what I did in the carnival business. Now, mind you, I got my own stand that he helped me build, by the way, <laughs> through it all. But, um, you know, I starved for years. We all starved for years. That's just how it is when you start out. So now into my husband, he, um, he worked at Tow Motor. He started out sweeping floors and worked his way all, up, all the way up to service manager. And then he was a sales manager. But for whatever reason, Tow Motor, I guess, didn't like that he did the carnivals on the side and told him that he had a choice. Either work for us full time, which he already was doing full time, doing a great job, I might add. Either work for us solely or play with your carnivals. Well, we all know the choice he made. It was to play with his carnivals. And uh, and once again, for the same reason as I did, he absolutely loved it. So he, we worked on different, uh, and I had my own kind of independent route and with a lot of different carnivals. And he worked, booked, he bought a slide and he booked his slide in all over, the, basically, I don't even want to say the East Coast because he was all the way out in Texas and Louisiana and Mississippi and he did a lot in the Northeast and he just kind of booked wherever they'd take him. Well, he made so much money with his slide that almost every carnival that he played with bought their own slide. So <laughs> he taught him a lesson, I suspect, but didn't help himself out. Then we had a small show we traveled with around Western New York, but they, um, they didn't ever want to change their route or anything. They kind of just kept the same old, same old. And Corky wanted to, you know, pursue better events. So in 1980, he decided to start his own show. And of course, I was all gung-ho, not really. At that time, I wasn't married to Corky Powers. I had another husband um, who, who I have my two children with who passed away. And But anyhow, so I was all, yay, 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 let's do it. Let's do it. We'll support you all the way. And a, and a few years later, when my husband died and I ended up marrying Corky Powers, I probably may have changed my mind on that. <laughs> but nonetheless, we've uh, we both loved what we did and worked together towards a great, beautiful show. Um, he's all about when we did get married, we set out to prove two things that you could make money in the carnival industry because a lot of shows we saw everything else on their midway made money, but the rides didn't make money. He said, no, the rides, the rides should make money. They should make a lot of money. These are the small shows we played with, not the big ones. And he said, and, and stay married. <laughs> so, so that was quite the goal we had. And um, obviously, I think we've been successful in attaining that. So in 1980, we started out with just a couple of rides, a couple of food trailers, and um, mostly stick joints we had at that time uh, for food trailers. But then we booked in some... We booked in other rides, so we had a halfway, you know, at least 10 rides on our midway. And we um, booked in games. And every single year, we just kept progressing. We, I remember we were just talking to somebody the other day, and I said, well, that one of my jobs when we were all tore down was to sweep the midway and make sure everything was clean. And um, we did that and just kept, like I said, buying a ride at a time. And, and Corky used to refurbish all of his own rides in his winter quarters that a small one he rented and he's just progressively gotten larger and larger as he's grown he has a great business motto um he's a guy that is very loyal and devoted to his employees as well as his um committees you know he's just a an, an upstanding guy and i think if you you treat people right and you do it right you're going to be successful and you love what you do and we both love what we do that's the key to it, Deb. And how many rides and how many events are you up to nowadays? We own about 55 
to 60 rides. I'm not sure if 55 includes the couple that our kids have. Because our kids have some too, which of course are always on our midway. Event-wise, goodness gracious, I never did count. I think it's like 22 events because most of our events now, well, it's probably not 22 because most of our events are two two-week events. I think we have a couple left that are are just one weeks, but very, very, very few. The cost of staying in a location one week is really cost prohibitive and finding drivers, et cetera. Right. Oh. So, so things have really changed over the years, as you kind of just illustrated with, with your own life story. Um, but what have those major changes been over time? And, and what are the larger cha- uh, challenges that you and, quite frankly, other other carnival owners are faced with today? I think that one of the um, things that's completely changed is obviously there's so much more technology. I mean, when we started out, I mean, um, the ticketing systems with the fun cards, et cetera, um, there's credit cards. We never took any of that stuff back in the day. Well, the Um, technology of the rides has changed a lot too, Debbie. Technology of the rides, everything's computerized, everything used to be mechanical in the day. I mean, when we started out, you got to remember, we didn't have cell phones. So we either had to use a pay phone or get a landline every week. And that was a real hassle, getting a landline. Half the time they'd show up on Friday and we were leaving on Saturday. So <laughs> it didn't really work. So when cell, phone, when cell phones came out, I swear we were two of the first people to get them because they were just so vital. Now, they didn't work in most of our locations, but. But at least you had one. Exactly. And when they did, they were a huge, huge, it was like having two extra employees just because it took out, it it eliminated so much time and effort to do things because you could just make a phone call. We take for granted our cell phones today. I hope we don't because I remember the day we did, they didn't exist. And it was a huge, huge difference. But I think as far as change in the industry, I think we've become way more professional. I think people look at us more as a professional business. Um, I think to, for, for a lot of reasons, we've become more professional. One of them being the governments in our, in our business now, like it or not, you know, we're constantly faced with regulations that, you know, we, we have to deal with ride inspections, health inspections, fire inspections, things that for the most part, we didn't have to deal with in the day. Now, I'm not opposed to any of that stuff. I think it's good. I think it keeps everybody on their toes and, and they're doing a better job business-wise. But I think all those things have played a part in why our business has changed into a more respectable business, I hope anyways. That was one of our goals was to get the negative connotation out of our industry. Well, and I think that's one of the goals of the OABA too. And yes, I think as an industry, we've been very successful at that. Exactly. I totally agree. I think it's all about education, um, educating people, which I do believe that is one of OABA's main goals. I think part of the problem, if there is any misunderstanding with OABA, it's because they just are uneducated as to the real purpose and the goals and the views and what we really do. I think that once they're educated, I spend a lot of time on different midways when, when I ask, you know, to be a member, when I ask them to join or, or just give a donation, whatever, to, you know, help support the, the cause and I get opposition, they're quite sorry that they've uh, given me opposition. Because they- <laughs> <laughs> well, I, be- I want to educate them. I'm the type of person that I homeschooled my children. So 
I learned, I love to learn and I relearned a lot of stuff I learned in school myself. So, but I enjoyed every minute of it. I want to know things. I don't want to be uneducated. Now there's many, many areas that I have no clue about, but if I can learn something, especially if I'm negative about something, why, why am I negative about it? And what should, what do I need to learn to become involved in, you know, give, give me an education, why it's a good thing. Right. So Deb, back to what are some of the biggest challenges Powers Midway and or the industry is is facing today? Um, you know, other than constantly changing regulation, what else what else keeps you up at night? Well, it's always been an issue because we travel from state to state or at least in our issue. I mean, every state has different rules, different regulations, different uh, labor rules and, and wages, you know, per hour, their wages change every week, just about that we play. But and the big deal for us is labor. And I don't think it's just our industry anymore. Everywhere we go, we were in a restaurant last week and the tables were like empty. But, and I said to the girl, a 30 minute wait, and I'm looking around and she knew my brain, what it was thinking. She said, you know, there's a lot of takeout orders and the, and the staff in the kitchen's being overwhelmed. That's why we're not seating people. And I said, oh, so it goes everywhere, but it's always been an issue in our industry, mostly because of the mobility of our industry. You're asking somebody, even though they get a decent wage, you're you're still asking them to leave their home, their family for at least six months a year and not see them. So that's why the H2B program works for us because these people leave their countries, obviously leave their families. So traveling with us isn't, isn't an issue. They don't mind doing it because they know they can't go back home regardless whereas an American can have that option. But it's just getting harder and harder for sure to get Americans. And I don't think it's just our industry anymore. It's everywhere. Oh, I, I agree. And, and the, the H2B issue is in such a constant state of flux without any kind of certainty to it. It works well when you have laborers, but if you can't get your laborers, it's it's a challenge. There's no question about it. And you're absolutely right about help in general. I just heard a story that out on Cape Cod over the weekend Similar to yours, there was a there was a line out the door. It was thirty five minutes long, and the, and they said you're more than welcome to come in, but you're going to have to get takeout because we don't have anyone to serve you. And you're welcome to sit in our restaurant, um, but you you won't have be able to be served. So you're you're right about the labor situation, Deb. And I know that we're spending thousands of dollars a year and working really hard uh, towards trying to get some final final goals met and being able to obtain our workforce on a consistent basis. So right. let's, let's not talk about COVID because we're all done talking about COVID. But you know what? We have such a resilient industry. Um, as the chair of the OABA for the last two years, and I should note, Debbie, that that you're the only chair that's ever been there for two years. The, the board of directors uh, decided because of COVID to give you a, another year and not move the officers around. But what's the industry learned from the pandemic in your, from your, your standpoint? I think the most, the really only true pro or like slap you in the face concept is we're all, we're ridiculously vulnerable. I had no clue. You know, you think as a business owner, you have it under control. You know exactly the enemies you're fighting and you know who's working with you. You know your allies, you know all about all that stuff and you maneuver through it all as you grow in years and, and just an industry. But when the government slapped something like a pandemic on your plate, you're like, what in the world? Where did this come from? I mean, I don't think a soul at 
there's probably some people, but I don't think a soul that I know in my industry ever thought this was going to happen to us ever, ever, ever. And it's, it's kind of teaches you save your money for a rainy day. That's kind of always what we said in the industry, but now it's like, and or for a pandemic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think, it, I don't, I think you're right. I don't think any of us saw that coming and not just in our industry, but in, in a lot of others. So what's, what's changed to the future a little bit, Deb? Um, what are your thoughts about what the OABA needs to do uh, to continue its relevance and to make sure we meet the members' expectations in the future, other than what we're currently doing now? Well, first of all, I believe everybody has different ideas, expectations, views. So I think it's an impossible task to always please everybody, no matter how hard we try. But as a whole... I mean, you find that out with your own employees and your own children even. But as a whole, I think that um, most of the people, if they did have any kind of a negative connotation, just need to be educated. Like I said earlier, it's all about educating people. I think that we need to tell them how hard we're working for their labor problem. We know we're all in the same boat. You don't need to, you know, explain your situation to me because I live your situation. I think that we need to stress how many safety um, programs that we have offered people to stay safe, to stay up to date, to keep your midways happy. I think we've given people ideas on how to keep people on your midway because getting somebody there and keeping somebody there is a whole nother thing. We started benches years ago and I thought, now that's just a whole nother truck that we got to haul around. What's your What's your thought process? And Corky said, the grandma that brought the grandkids is real tired. She wants to sit down and let those kids ride all day and spend more money. That's right. And and it's worked for us. One of the many things that's worked. So me and many other carnivals, not not just us, of course. But the big thing is I really just think people need to be more educated about the benefits of OABA. I know that we talked about it the last spring board meeting that we were going to try to get some discounts for the employees because I think that they're the ones that don't benefit as much from joining OAPA other than job security, which is a big deal, especially if it's somebody that's worked for a lot of years and loves the industry. Uh, joining OABA is good for your job security, but I just think we should, you know, should maybe work on some of the more discounts and things that we maybe offer the owners, but don't the, don't offer the employees. And I think that that Tim was working on some of those things, if I'm correct. Oh, absolutely. We were, we're working on it. We're trying to find the, the best thing out there and um, kind of finding that everything's the same. So we're, we're trying to work on some customized programs now. Um, but uh, absolutely. And, you know, we, we at that same meeting voted to make uh, Volt our virtual online training uh, free to our carnival members. And we've seen people uh, take us up on that offer. So that's, that's a good thing. And awesome. we're cu- currently working with, um, a couple of public relations firm to get some quotes about being proactive about safety in the public's view and using social media when we come to town to let people know how safe the rides are and how much effort we do put into it. So sounds like you and I are on the same page and, and progressing. But listen, Deb, we're starting to get close to the home stretch here. And I, I really do just want to kind of ask you, and you, you alluded to it a little bit, but what makes what makes you stay in this industry? I mean, the long hours, the constant travel, the, the you know, the burnout, the fatigue, constant challenges, and you know, every time you move, um, what drives you and, and and actually your children to stay in this industry? We're crazy. 
<laughs> but anyways, I, you know, totally honest with you, I really don't have a clue why I love this industry so much. I've just loved it since I was a child, uh, you know, being exposed as a very young person. I just, I loved it from then on. And I feel like if you do what you love, you're never a day in your life. I I say to my employees sometimes when I have to help them in the funnel cake trailer, I go, well, this is my happy place. Even though they burn me with the grease and, you know, and I'm sweating horribly and, you know, I could go on. It's just, I don't know what it is about it. I don't know if it's like I walk on the midway and, and it's, is it the bright lights that are flashing, the rides turning, the smile for the most part, the smiling faces I don't know. It's just an intriguing business to me and always has been. And I just feel this is my calling. This is where I'm supposed to be. And, you know, hopefully we're doing the best job that we can do, because I think if you like something, you do do a good job at it. You know, you really try your best. So, I mean, as far as my children, you know, Dean was five days old and he was out on a midway uh, <laughs> over in my fifth wheel with the crib next to me with a generator running under me. That's why the child can sleep through anything today. But good training as a young boy. But you have to remember in our business, you're always around your family. To me, that's a big plus. Now, that can be a horrible thing, too. And you have to keep it at bay. You have to make sure your family, you know, works with you and you try to keep everybody happy. That That's a challenge, to say the least. But, but it has great pluses. I mean, I've been around all my grandchildren growing up. That was always an, a beautiful, wonderful thing. And as far as Dean and Philip, I... Corky and I were their mother and their father. Uh, I taught them. I homeschooled. I was their boss, and so was he, and still is. And just in general, we were, were friends. We're still friends today. So I think that, you know, that's extremely important. As far as Dean goes, when Dean graduated from with his college degree in business, he went out and obtained a, a different job. And, and it was an okay job. I mean, he got decent money, and he was married, and he said, to his wife, I want to go back in the carnival. I want to go back to the carnival. And the wife said, well, you promised me a normal life. He said, exactly. I promised myself a normal life too. And that's normal for me. There you go. Sounds you know, like, all, sounds like all of you wouldn't have it any other way, Debbie. Well, we try hard. We try to work together as a family and stay focused. And, you know, we, it has its ups and downs. Don't get me wrong, but. So does every, so does every business and every family. Yeah, so love what we do. Absolutely. So. Well, Debbie, I want to I thank you for taking time out of your day today to be on our first podcast and share with uh, our listeners some of the insights of Debbie Powers and the OABA and, and Powers Great American Midway. And uh, we hope we'll probably have you back at some time in the future. Maybe we'll have you back talking about fundraising because that seems to be what Debbie Powers does best. So <laughs> for now, on, on episode number one, we're going to sign off. And uh, thanks, thanks, Deb, and have a great day. Thank you for joining us for Around the Carousel, an OABA production. To learn more about the Outdoor Amusement Business Association and its mission to promote and preserve the growth of the outdoor amusement industry through leadership, advocacy, and education, please visit us at oaba.org and join us to put the OABA to work for you.